0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Man, it is a new year, but it is the same Spain and Fitz, except for one of us, and just the one of us has an eight and eight football team going to the playoffs. We'll get into that in a second. It's Sarah Woo! Spain, Jason Fitz. Oh, it took me
2: seconds to throw shade. Come
1: on, <laughs> ESPN Doesn't app, really Sirius XM channel eighty. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can always reach us on the Goodyear hotline. And you can always find us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz on Twitter. ESPN is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business projection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available. Progressive as you covered more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Yeah, I threw shade right away, Fitz, because I wanted you to know that a lot of people claim to change who they are when the calendar shifts from December 31st to January 1st. I want you to know I'm the same me. I'm bringing that same energy. i <laughs> uh, going to clown you even when your team has the same record as mine and mine slipped into the playoffs with what I uh, said yesterday was essentially the double doink of playoff berths. Um, they lost and then another team lost and there was expanded playoffs. Uh, so basically they double doinked their way in and uh, I'm going to celebrate that.
2: Look, I, I, at some point, we've all got to understand what it's all about, right? I've said for a long time that what I want are more Sundays where I'm happy than I'm sad. And I've realized that this year, now that I've had equal Sundays happy and sad, that that's all a lie. I want an extra Sunday. That's all I care about It's just give me <laughs> one extra Sunday a year. So I think there's a lot of fan bases right now, Sarah, that are looking around saying, you know what, I don't really care if my team's that great. I care if my team makes the playoffs. There's just something that feels special about that opportunity. And the Bears are going to get that opportunity. This mm-hmm. year at eight and eight, you know, and that's staggering when you think about. You've got an eight-win team on one side, and then like I, I said a month ago, we've got a ten-win team in the AFC that's not going to go to the playoffs. So yep, you it, it. It all becomes very difficult. Like I, I don't want to be good. I want to go to the playoffs.
1: I want to be both. Uh, we can have bigger dreams in twenty twenty one. Fitz, I would like to be good and make the playoffs, but I'm not going to push my luck as a Bears fan. I mentioned this yesterday. The Bears made the playoffs five times in the last twenty five years. That is fewer times than the Lions. Now, the Lions don't get anywhere when they make the playoffs, right? And that's why it feels like they're more terrible. Because once they get in, they don't do anything. Whereas the Bears, you know, they had the run to the Super Bowl in 2007. They had a run to the NFC Championship. They've had a couple years where they were a good team that looked like they could do some damage. Whereas the Lions eke their way in and then do nothing. But the fact that the Bears have made fewer playoff years than the Lions in the last 25 years tells you why... I'm happy. I was rooting for the Bears to give me one more week. And to your point, yesterday was the worst combination of Sunday scaries ever. For those of you who don't know, Sunday scaries is essentially that feeling you get midway through a Sunday when you remember that work happens again the next day. Well, yesterday was Sunday scaries after a long holiday break, right? So you've got Mm -hmm. this extreme length of time of relaxing and spending time with your friends and family and then being like, oh, no, work. Plus the last game of the NFL season. So you're like, oh, I don't get to watch my team anymore if you're a Raiders fan or, you know, a couple other teams that aren't advancing. And then you've got, you know, the the looming uh, uh, work schedule. So for me, at least I get to say, I'm not done watching the Bears. I don't know if they're going to get absolutely smeared by the Saints. I think that's very likely. In fact, I would put significant money on them getting smeared by the Saints if I were a betting woman. But I still want to watch it. I still want to get excited for a Sunday game instead of watching everybody else's teams so that's the attitude I'm bringing but Fitz I don't want anyone to mistake that for me thinking the Bears are a good team or a team that deserved to be in the playoffs or a team that doesn't need a massive overhaul in the offseason I want Trubisky gone and Foles is going to stick around because he's under contract as a backup they need to find a starting quarterback I want Ryan Pace gone His pick of Trubisky was his biggest failure, but there have been others. We need new mastermind at the GM level. And I would like to see probably Matt Nagy gone, although I will say that the grass is not always greener at the head coach position. And every time you restart with that, you start with a whole new offense, usually, and and new staff, and, and and it's ground zero all over again. And I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Defense has been suspect over the last few weeks. I don't think Chuck Pagano seems to be proving that he's actually that great of a mastermind. It's about the talent that he has under him. And I don't know if I like what I've seen over the last couple of weeks from that. So there is a lot to be fixed. And since you can't change ownership, I guess we got to stick with that for a while. I would, I would start there if I could. Uh, but I don't think you have to pick one, fits. I think I'm going to give them at least a tiny bit of credit that they're not going to think, well, I think actually our team is pretty good, but only because the Arizona Cardinals lost to the Rams.
2: I mean, and and lost to the Rams with a backup quarterback. and uh, I think, uh, you know, sort of a stunning result But if they
1: think that that game means anything about whether their team's any good, that that would be truly delusional. I'm giving them a little more credit than that.
2: What's interesting to me is you just, you combined all these things that I didn't know could exist together. Like, uh, you you want a team that goes to the playoffs and is good? Like, I didn't know that was possible. (laughs) And now, you know, uh, I'm thinking about the... Ask our producer stuff. She's a
1: Chiefs fan. (laughs)
2: He gets both. <laughs> Just now, the, the luxury of riches you're talking about, but it's real for the Bears. If you can go to the playoffs and say, hey, how far can we extend this out, get some extra football, and then on top of it, know that the organization is going to be smart enough to not look at that as some sort of an indication that change isn't needed, then you are truly having your cake and eating it too. Like, that's a, a perfect scenario for a team to look at and say, let's go on a run, but also realize that that run doesn't mean anything for the future. I, I It's uh, maybe it, that's possible, and I, I hope for your sake it is, but I think there's a lot of teams right now that are looking at that, that same I mean, if you're the Washington football team, you're certainly not proud of a losing season but you are, it doesn't matter you're division champions, you're going into the playoffs, so if you're the Washington football team you know that no matter what happens from here forward, not only are you building something but hey, you get to go on a playoff run in the process like, that's a win-win, short-term long-term, and that's rare in the NFL
1: and, you did it in a year when, if, if we had told you, when this season began With the fighting between the minority owners and Dan Snyder, with no name, right? Having to go by Washington football team, with the bombshell reports that continue to come out from the Washington Post about an absolutely toxic culture, calls for the owner to sell the team, a new coach who finds out he's struggling with cancer and has to go through chemo in the middle of the season. Your quarterback that you're going to ride with is the guy that couldn't walk a year ago? Right. All of those things. And if you had told us without the progression of time that passed from day one till now and all of the little things that that got us ready for this moment, if you had dumped all that on us at the beginning of the season, we would have laughed. That is a crazy story. And I was tweeting about yesterday. I didn't love that NBC's intro feature for the game last night was essentially this flowery piece about, you know, romanticizing their season and sort of not mentioning the fact that they have massive issues but that's not to take away from the story of Rivera or the story of Alex Smith. Those are tremendous stories. And I think that the Washington football fans should be absolutely celebrating that in spite of all the garbage at the top, the team and the coach and that quarterback found a way to make it work enough to make the postseason. And whether they do anything with it or not, and I don't think they will, it's it's a fun story for a team that hasn't had a lot you know, to be excited about. And so that's, I, I just think, Fitz, it's real short-sighted to take any playoff appearances for granted. And again, that's me being hopeful enough that making it doesn't mean you think your team is in a good position. It just means you say, this is a little bit something else. We're going to put a little more money in our pocket. We're going to get playoff bonuses. We're going to feel good. Our players are going to get that experience. And then we have to go out and actually build a team that's going to win one of those games.
2: There's an added benefit of why I think Washington football teams, are particular fans, are particularly happy today because – Not only are they making the playoffs, but to the point that you made, for everything that they've gone through as an organization, the question is who's really running things right now. That's the big question. The release of Dwayne Haskins last week is a very strong indication that Ron Rivera is running everything right now. So if you're a Washington football team fan that's been begging – for Daniel Snyder to take a step back. I think we've seen an indication that that's happened. So now you have some some level of hope, not just for what you're Mm -hmm. seeing today, but also for what you see moving forward because you believe that somebody that may be able to do a better job is finally making the key decisions for your organization.
1: And we didn't even get to the Browns. We'll get to the Browns. Congratulations, Cleveland fans. Two years ago, Bud Light had fridges that would automatically open if your team got one win all season. One win to to give celebratory beers to the whole city, and now you got 11 wins and you're in the postseason. Remarkable. Really, really remarkable. We'll get into that in a little bit. But coming up, six head coaching vacancies in the NFL. Which job is the most attractive? And were all these coaches uh, right in, in being sent off? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: Base News, despite being the most obvious of the entire year, was still a bit of a surprise. You weren't really sure if they were going to go ahead and pull the trigger there, if they were just going to let it ride, see what might happen. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Happy New Year. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Fitz, you think there's ever been a new year that had fewer people accidentally Writing down the old wrong year, <laughs> like no one's like, is it still twenty? 2020- I'm so sorry, it's twenty. 20- Everyone's like, get me out of here. We're ready.
2: <laughs> it is amazing at how many times I feel like I've had to remind people to that. Hey, twenty twenty one doesn't necessarily mean that everything's perfect today. Like, no, uh, no it this is going to continue through. But trying to find some level of positivity through all of it you know I, I think it's important it's just funny that you know we turned the clock at midnight and it eerily felt you know like nothing had changed which is abnormal to what we usually do on that day
1: yeah there was a the perfect meme where a guy was excited looking at the clock at 11:59 p.m. on December 31st and then it flipped to 11:60 and it was still <laughs> december 31st that felt that felt about right i mean also we have the strange 2021 starting with a famous actress dying And her rep and her husband saying she died. And then the next day, everyone's like, sorry, still alive. Uh, Our bad. Uh, She was in Charlie's Angels in that 70s show. Her name is escaping me right now. But I was like, oh, 2021 is going to be a weird one, huh? We're We're starting with that already. Yeah, so Tony Roberts. Roberts is, yeah, yeah, we're starting Roberts. with the, uh, you know, coming back from the dead. Cool. Great. Keep me on my toes. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of on our toes, uh, we are trying to keep track of NFL coaches who have been let go. The number uh, is continuing to go up, and it means that there are a handful of jobs of varying interests. The Jets, the Jags, Lions, Falcons, Texans, and Chargers all open jobs now. We'll put it up on Twitter. I'll, I'll get that pull up in a minute of, of the, the sort of most appealing job, in, in your opinion. But um, let's start with the two teams at the bottom, Fitz. I think it's, it's really a draw, the idea of getting to work with a Trevor Lawrence and the Jags if he goes there as most presume or getting to work with Justin Fields, especially after that performance we saw this past weekend. Um, but that pick and that that reason that you get those top picks means you're bad. You're a bad team that has a lot to fix. So just how appealing do you think those two jobs are?
2: Well, I think the Jags are a lot more appealing than the Jets because Trevor Lawrence is a sure thing. And that's, you know, I was uh, watching the college football playoff games and I was watching with Mike Gullick Jr. and our buddy Trevor Scales and we were talking about sort of my thought that, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do when your entire roster stinks is trade down and just get as many pieces as you possibly can to help you rebuild. And uh, they, they really changed my mind on it because the one thing that we can say about Trevor Lawrence is it's tough to find anything in the draft that feels like a sure thing. Trevor Lawrence feels like that. And and because of that, I look at the Jacksonville, at the Jags, who have, what, $81 million worth of cap space right now. They have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a third-round pick in this year's draft. So they have a lot of top-heavy draft picks available to them. But they have Trevor Lawrence, so you know coming in that you're going to be getting what is arguably the best college quarterback we've seen in a generation coming into the franchise. That's a much as, as good as Justin Fields was in that one game. The two games before, he wasn't good, and part of the, the reason that Ohio State was better in that game uh, over the weekend is that they ran the ball more to keep the ball out of Justin Fields' hands at times. So you know you got to look at it and say, Justin Fields looks to me like he could be incredibly good but he's nowhere near the sure thing that Trevor Lawrence is. So because of that, I take the Jags over the Jets all day.
1: All right, so let's move to the other ones. You've got a Lions team that is on the fence, sounds like, about whether Matt Stafford returns. This is a great quarterback who can make incredible throws, but they've just never gotten over the hump. Is it time for them to start with a clean slate, send him to a team that's ready to compete, um, and is that a job that at this point you've learned enough about the Lions as a franchise to say, I'm, I'm tentative? And wouldn't that be kind of the same with the Jets? Although the Jets had some recent success in the Sanchez years, but that's about it.
2: Yeah, and, and to me, I'm not huge on the gig just because no matter who goes there, it doesn't work out. I mean, it, and you're right, Matthew, Like the fair thing to do to a 32-year-old Matthew Stafford is to trade him somewhere where he can have a shot to go out and win something in his career. And he's still a quarterback with a lot of value. So. I don't think it's far-fetched to think that the, the Lions with the seventh pick in the first round are going to go into full reset mode. They have about $10 million in cap space available to them, so they go into full reset mode. You draft somebody and you think maybe this is the way we restart, and they can get a lot of value, I think, still for Matthew Stafford. So uh, I, I see that, though, as sort of a, a roll-the-dice gig. That's a, that's a gig, I don't think, that, you know a huge name. That has options is going to take that particular gig. Desmond Howard today on College Football Live predicted that's a landing spot outside the box thinking for somebody like Pat Fitzgerald to go in, and and you know that that's the sort of coach that I could see taking that opportunity. Somebody that just wants to roll the dice and see what they can do.
1: The Falcons is an interesting team. They gave some teams a run for their money down the stretch there, um, and obviously were historically and and notoriously very close to a Super Bowl not long ago before things fell apart. How good of a job is
2: that? Uh, see, the problem for them is money, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you how do you get that bad and spend that much money? And like Julio Jones next year has a, a massive, he has a $23 million cap number, but he has an even bigger dead cap number going into next year. So it looks like it could be really difficult for them to figure out what to do financially. I mean, the the numbers for them monetarily don't make a lot of sense. So you have talented players but you're just going to be coaching that roster minus some pieces that they're going to have to get rid of. I I think that makes a a cautious gig at best for Atlanta, right?
1: They also need a new GM, which is interesting because maybe you feel better about taking on that job if you know that there's going to be a fresh start at the same time as you and you're going to be sort of linked to that person and and not acquiring whatever it is uh, that already came at that job. Um, You know, They've missed the playoffs for three straight years, but they're still kind of in win-now mode. Um, they have a better roster than a lot of the other teams uh, that have open gigs. and they're they're in a, 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 a division that's that's aging, right? So there might be some some opportunity in the next couple of years to start to take over. Um but there's you know, there's some questions for me about, you know, if you're truly in win now, is Matt Ryan still good enough? or is it just you get enough pieces around him and you think you can win with him? Or do we think he's passed his prime too much for this to be uh, a team that can win without having to make a big change at QB?
2: Yeah, you're so right. Like I, that's such a, a crapshoot in general. Uh, again, that makes Atlanta a tough job for me to uh, to sort and of negotiate as opposed to like the Texans who have some problems monetarily, but they got Deshaun Watson. And Deshaun Watson Mm -hmm. is young, and I'm so in love with a a quarterback that we know who they are, proof of concept at the quarterback position. I mean, even though the Texans don't have any draft picks, they're really up a creek financially. The quarterback is so good, I look at it and say, man, I don't know, I wouldn't take a flyer on that just because they got a guy that's young that we know can play the position. Maybe they can be good if you can get those pieces in place and if you can get a long enough contract to see through whatever the rebuild is around Deshaun. But you still know you got Deshaun.
1: And consistency, right? They've sort of been in it for the last few years, despite a head coach slash GM and Bill O'Brien that people thought didn't make great decisions. So if you get the right person in there, you know, how good of a job is it? Um, Then there's the Chargers. The Chargers are the final one. By the way, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, you can tell us which job you think is the most appealing. But Justin Herbert and the Chargers, that's a pretty good job.
2: Yeah. I mean, they got so much, that's the most talented team and they've got a quarterback that everybody's infatuated with and they have a normal draft and a decent amount of money to spend. I mean, I, other than the fact that nobody in LA cares about them, there isn't a negative (laughs) to that gig.
1: And they will care if they start winning enough. That's certainly how things work in every sport and especially in LA. Uh, let us know your thoughts about those uh, coaching candidates. We'll see if anybody else, uh, uh, ends up losing their, their gig in the coming weeks. But right now, those six NFL head coaching jobs open. Coming up, a lot more news from the NFL, including an interesting move from one AFC West team. And is going to join Spain and Fitz coming up next to give us a scoop on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests hanging out with us on the Goodyear hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We all know that the Monday at the end of the regular season in the NFL causes – a lot of change. There's change throughout the league, whether that's change in coaches being fired or coaches being hired or uh, people taking new roles and uh, all of that happening for the teams that are out of the playoffs while other teams are trying to figure out what to do that are getting ready for the playoffs. So, let's get a little insight on all of it by heading over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Charles Robinson, Yahoo! senior NFL reporter. Uh, Charles, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Uh, Let's start with the AFC West because we just told everybody there's a little interesting nugget about what the Broncos or have decided to do with John Elway. So give us the latest on what they're doing there.
1: We got Charles?
2: I thought we had Charles.
1: We had no. Charles. 2021
3: is added again. Well, you know what? They hit time. the mute button. There we go. All right, Charles, what we'll I, try all you know of The COVID pounds took over and hit the, hit the mute button. You know what? Honestly, we so. lost
1: one fat face today, so it's okay. If your fat face uh, felt you know, like it
3: needed I to step in tonight. I saw the emotional sign-off, and it, it gave me tears. It <laughs> left me in tears. That was, that was something. Uh, yeah, so the Broncos are going to be an interesting situation. So, um, you know, John Elway is, is moving to football ops, which – you know, we'll see how long this lasts. I mean, it's it's going to go a year uh, at least. And, you know, John has said that he's, he's moving into a football ops position, which is expected to be a little more broad, um, overseeing parts of the operation, but not being involved in really the grind that is personnel, you know, constantly grinding on you know, whether it's tape or free agents. And, you know, he'll still, I guess at this point, he plans on still being a part of those decisions, but the plan is to get a general manager in um, who will take over more of, uh, the intensity of, of that personnel evaluation end of it. And I I had a chance to talk to somebody in Denver today. It's, it's interesting how it's being absorbed, I think in the personnel department, because, you know, I asked "Hey, do you think there's any chance that, that someone gets promoted, um, internally? And he was very, um, I think he felt a little downtrodden about it. And he said, I doubt it because you know, this, this change is coming because clearly they're not happy about some, some level of effort or, or, or the, the players that have come in recently. And so, you know, he thinks it's going to be an external candidate. And when there's an external general manager candidate who comes in, it tends to put your personnel department in flux. And when your personnel department is in flux, I think your roster, you know, gets in flux a bit. So, I would say that you know this is a sign that the Broncos are at a little bit of a pivot point, and we will see. You know, next season is going to be really important for I think not only the head coach but uh, a large segment of that personnel department that's going to have to prove itself again.
1: Charles, I want to move on, but quickly. I mean, besides the jokes about him becoming infatuated with super tall quarterbacks, he's had a, a lot of success, <laughs> including a Super Bowl. Is this necessarily a positive? Do you think that they they move in a better direction because
4: of this? <sighs>
3: Um, you know, I, I, there's no question that John's early success, um, it it was fantastic. You know, the the Peyton Manning, um, saga, you know, getting Peyton in there was, was a huge change for that organization. Um, I think, you know, even the, you know, moving away from, from John Fox to, to Gary Kubiak, I mean, there were, he, he made a number of decisions that I think were, were great early on, but I think that time passed and, you know, some of the draft picks didn't work out and, and some of the free agent signings weren't great. And, you know, so I think that, I think the level that, that of expectation that he created initially it, the last few years have been lacking. So I think the thought process there is to try and, you know, get something fresh going and, and hope that it results in, and, you know, just a higher level of quality in terms of the free agent signings and, you know, hopefully building around, you know, Drew Locke moving forward because listen, Locke, you're going to have to make a decision on him pretty quickly. You know, next year is going to be a a sort of make it or break it year Mm -hmm. for Drew Locke in terms of a, a potential extension. So I think part of this is geared toward that.
2: Well, I'll just be honest, as a Raiders fan, I hope they spend next year figuring out Drew Locke, because I don't think he's any good. I'm just saying, all right, we're talking to Charles Robinson, Yahoo senior NFL reporter, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I'm just flinging bias all over the beginning of the new year. So, Charles, sure. a lot of jobs that are opening right now across the <laughs> NFL. We were just talking about it on the show. What job do you think is going to be the most in demand from other people that are looking for that opportunity?
3: I think Jacksonville is is really attractive. You know, I had a chance to talk to one candidate and, and about uh, – actually, it was actually right after um, they moved up into that top slot, and his response was this makes it the most attractive job out there because you're talking about bringing in, you know, a franchise quarterback and Trevor Lawrence who a lot of teams feel like, you know, can be a 10- to 15-year type guy. You know, one of these, you know, stretch it into his late 30s. Type of quarterback, and you know the fact that um, I think the Jets were extremely high in Trevor Lawrence. I think they were devastated to to be now in the position to not select him. And so, I, you know, the Jacksonville roster has talent on it, um, but the the ability to get a general manager, um, a head coach, and a and a foundational quarterback all in one shot um, is is I, I think that's the preference for a lot of say general manager candidates or coaching candidates um, who are going in there. They want everybody to walk in on the same page and not feel like somebody selected, you know, wasn't their guy or they got paired with somebody who, who they didn't necessarily um, wouldn't have chosen to be with. So I would put Jacksonville there. And then I, I think a, a, you know, a decent second and a, you know, really a close second, the Los Angeles chargers, because look, Justin Herbert is, I mean, he's just blowing the doors off of everybody. I, I had an evaluator um, in the AFC who had cross checked quarterbacks, was not big on Justin Herbert, and he told me early in the season, he said, I was wrong. Like, I flat out blew this one. Like, I watched the kid play two games, and I realized he's probably going to be a generational type quarterback, and that was early in the season. Now we've seen what he's done. I think that's a part of why the Chargers make this move. You want to pair him with an offensive guy who you know can't be um, hired away in the future. Like, say, you go get a Brian Dayball. He's with your quarterback in perpetuity like an Andy Reid is with, with Patrick Mahomes.
1: It's Spain and Fitz there, Spain. Jason Fitz, we're talking to Yahoo senior NFL reporter, Charles Robinson. Uh, yeah, interesting to see Jags owner Shad Khan today. said so he was going to be more involved. In, and and you have to wonder if that's a positive thing in terms of him uh, getting involved in, in decisions. But they have $81 million of cap space, two first-rounders, two second-rounders, right? They've, they've got a lot to work with there. And then to your point about the Chargers, absolutely all of that in between those two in terms of cap space and draft picks is the Jets. You didn't mention them. Is there just too much dysfunction there that even with presumably a good quarterback in Justin Fields and, you know, tons of cap space to work with, there's just too much to fix?
3: Well, it's, you know, Woody Johnson, obviously the ambassadorship is ending. So I think there's still an element of ownership being in flux there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so if you're a head coach, the first thing, you know, that that general manager candidates or head coaching candidates always want to know is, you know, what's the state of ownership? Is it stable? Um, is there time to, to accomplish something here? If this is a build, how much time are we going to have? So I still think even though, and, you know, Christopher Johnson's going to be handling this, you know, Woody Johnson's not going to be an immediate part of this process, but eventually he's going to return from that job um, in the UK and, and he's going to be, you know, a major factor in this organization again. So I think that raises, you know, a little bit of a red flag. And then I think, you know, although the Jets have the number 2 pick in the draft, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that that they're just going to take field. I think now they have to evaluate is Sam Darnold, you know, uh, where are they with Sam Darnold versus say uh, a Justin Fields versus the there's going to be a number of quarterbacks who are going to be available, both veteran, and then there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some jockeying for that that second quarterback slot. And they're going to have an opportunity to trade if they don't want to stay in that number two pick. So um, I think if you're a head coach, you'd like to go in there knowing I've got my quarterback. I know the ownership situation is completely solid, and I feel like there's a a lot of talent on the roster. There's not a lot of that. I mean, I think whoever takes this job, the one thing they have to be sold on is Joe Douglas as the general manager. And if they're sold with that, if they really, truly believe that Joe's their guy, um, I think that's what ultimately gets someone into that jet spot.
2: Charles, I know we got to let you go, but real quick, I'll, I'll ask you opinion on an interesting scenario in my mind. If we all believe that Carson Wentz isn't going to be the the quarterback of the Eagles for some reason next year, they're sitting there at 6. Last year, Tua was available at 6. If an epic quarterback is available at 6, are the Eagles in the market or is Jalen Hurts still their guy then?
3: Uh, man, I, I don't at this point, I don't ever want to say never anymore, you know, given what's happened. You know, you look at the Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen situation. I'll, I'll, I'll just leave you with this. When the whole Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen thing happened, someone said to me, you don't pass on special. That's why Steve Keim made the pick with Kyler Murray, unloaded Josh Rosen after only a year. I tend to believe more franchises are operating with that mindset of you don't ever pass on special. So if they really truly believe, there is a special guy there at six, just a, a complete game changer for them. I, I would never say never at this point. I mean, that. <laughs> I didn't think Nate Sudfeld would check in either in the second <laughs> half of the season <laughs> finale. So who knows with that organization at this point.
2: Charles, we appreciate your time. Charles Robertson, Yahoo Senior NFL Reporter, thanks so much for hanging out with us.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. It's been too long, to
2: since but- we
1: hung out with Charles.
2: Uh, has it been too long since we here? It's behind? been too Is long, it? yeah.
1: We're remedying huh? that. Yeah, okay. yeah. 2021, <laughs> starting off strong.
2: <laughs> Spain and Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we're down to two our biggest takeaways from the college football playoff semis. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to get straight to some straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Sarah... I was in Nashville, obviously, uh, a little bit over the holiday. Uh, had the opportunity to go to Tennessee, where sports betting is now legal. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, that's a new development, and I've decided that I want to try and add a little bit of experience here, and maybe you know, wet, wet the whistle a little bit, I'll start mm-hmm. dabbling a little Dip bit, a toe, and, you know, see what what I want to see what future opportunities there could be in that space a little bit. So uh-huh. I'm like, you know what. I'm going to do it the best way I know how, which is put just a little skin in the game. Like, if you want to do it, do it, and then you'll learn from it. That was my, that's my logic, right? So I go into, you know, the opening uh, the, the first time. And rule number one, never going to bet on the Raiders. I've already established that. So I go in and I bet on some NFL games, and much like our picks – I did staggeringly well. So I was like, wow. this is easy. I love this. Oh, no. I got this. I so know. then I, you know, I got a little confident. Put a little <laughs> money on a parlay uh, for the college football playoff semifinal. Now, I work a lot in college football, so I felt really confident. Like, I know these, two, these four teams. I have a good sense of how I think these games are going to go. So I put the money in on Alabama with the points And Clemson with the points, which is a good way of saying I lost everything. So I decided in in a week that I no longer like sports betting. It took took, took a solid (laughs) week, Uh, but it was a surprise. I don't like losing money
1: either. That's why I don't often uh, bet, uh, because I I like to keep the money. Um, I'm also just sad for your wife. You haven't seen her hardly at all. And you got home and you immediately like, we're good. I'm going to go gamble.
2: Well, no, you do it in an app now. You just like you, you download the app and the app knows that so you you're did, in Tennessee. You did it
1: together. You spent some yeah. quality time together going over the spreads and making sure you made the right picks.
2: Well, that's fair. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, and, and the amazing thing is I was sitting there watching the end of the Alabama Notre Dame game and, and I'm hanging out with Mike Michael Jr. And obviously he's got a huge vested interest in it. But as the game became a blowout, he was just sort of sitting back laughing about it. Right. That's all you can do in that moment. <laughs> I'm sitting there at the end of a blowout game, maddeningly stressed by a bad beat touchdown that didn't matter to anybody at the end of the game. It was just one of those obnoxious sort of, oh, we're going to score here just to keep this thing under 20 because we know Fitz put money on it. That's, a, that's the only thing I can yeah. figure. Well, was I mean,
1: and that's the other thing is I don't need to add stress to my life. Like, have you guys met reality right now? Like, I'm not intentionally <laughs> making my days worse Uh, worrying about whether I just blew several hundred dollars because, you know, some kick bounced the wrong way. That's just, that's not necessary right now. I don't need to add those levels of stress to what's already going on. It's also why I'm not introducing new characters into my life. I'm just watching shows I've seen before. I don't need the stress of meeting new people. I'm
2: good. It's amazing that they say for coaches that the pain of losing doesn't equal the joy of, of winning. That's the same embedding. I've learned that yeah. quickly. Like Yeah, like uh, whatever,
1: whatever happiness you get from winning is far outweighed by the disappointment you have in blowing your money on on some team that disappointed you. Speaking of, really quick, and I'm curious if you said you were kind of ch- chatting it up with Gojo during these games. I don't know if it was both games, but um, what did you guys make of the Justin Fields stuff? Because I was surprised about how honest he was after the game that they wouldn't tell him what was wrong with him or what might be wrong with him. He just got some shots and went out there. Like, normally that's not what you hear. And it was tough for me to watch him out there. Like, obviously impressive. And he threw some sick balls, healthy or not. So to be as as injured as he was and get those passes off was really impressive. But it was really hard to watch.
2: Yeah, I'm with you a thousand percent. And I think the honesty was staggering. And every time you saw him try and get on the bike and you saw the obvious Uh pain he was in, uh, to me was absolutely you know, it, it was unreal. And I know a lot of people were uh, sort of clamoring on Twitter about what a real regular football hit's supposed to look like and a normal play's supposed to look like. None of that matters. The rule is the rule and it was the proper execution of the rule. His head was down when he hit him. And it doesn't matter how that happened, the fact is that's a penalty. Like, the, the what caused it is not part of what the referees are supposed to factor in. So what you end up with is just a terrible situation where a bang-bang play ends up being something that knocks a key player out of the game. But more importantly, uh, Justin Fields sustains just a a awful looking injury and then guts it out for a performance that I think was uh, it it was insane to watch how fired up the entire team was but that has me thinking a little bit about the championship game because as they said repeatedly in the broadcast there the motivation like every day the Mm -hmm. score from last year's Clemson Ohio State game was up in the gym every day they thought about what happened last year and you could see that from them when they got on the field you could see that every single day they'd been thinking about this game so my question is, now what? You know, Greg McElroy was on College Football Live with me today, and he mentioned they did the same thing in 09 with Alabama. And then Saban sat him down and made him watch the movie Miracle because he wanted to remind them that the miracle win over the Soviets was not the gold medal game. Yeah. And nobody will remember if you don't win the gold. <laughs> but I just don't know... I don't know if that's the
1: best example though, because everyone does remember and they didn't win the gold. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone remembers that game much more so than whatever happened in the gold medal game. But his point is valid, right? Like you're you've got something else to still go out and win. Um, I, I think mentally, you hope that you don't need any extra motivation to get up for a championship game. You know what I mean? Like that that yeah, right. you can absolutely understand that a team mentally might really get up for a revenge game and want to prove themselves. But you're going to have enough time to now reset your expectations and your goals for the next game. I think the biggest concern is how healthy will fields be, right? What does that injury do over the time between now and the game? And then COVID-wise, you know, there's always risks of players being out, of it affecting rosters. What are these teams going to look like when the national championship game arrives? Who's available? How healthy are they? Um, And then, of course, just matchup-wise, is this a team in Ohio State having seen as little of them as we has that have that we can that we can really guess at how they match up?
2: Well, I mean, certainly Ohio State looked different in this game against Clemson than they have all year. It's like they were saving all of the sprinkles and fancy <laughs> right. toppings from the ice cream bar. They didn't for need this, them they, they were just vanilla <laughs> all year, and then suddenly they it's were. It's like vanilla the Chiefs
1: with- <laughs> when they play good teams. You're like, oh, you have that too that you can do. That's scary.
2: <laughs> well, and to that end, you know, I think one of the the more interesting things again I'll go back to McElroy because he also had broken ribs at one point when he played and he was telling me that you know during the game he was fine because you get enough injections during a game you can't feel anything but during the week you're not so you know I'll be interested even to the point of how they prepare for the, for the game against Alabama because Alabama is just at a different level than everybody now I'm the first to admit I thought Clemson was going to win they obviously didn't so I was wrong about Ohio State once and that's why we play the games but Alabama is legitimately there A team with three guys that in any given year would win the Heisman this year. Devontae Smith, the wide receiver that's the favorite. Mac Jones, who uh, incredibly is completing 58% of his passes on, on passes that are in the air for 30 or more yards. Like, think about that. Like, that is unreal accuracy. And then Najee Harris, the running back. I mean, they are so good offensively. I don't know that anybody can stop them. So, Ohio State has to get a good weekend, in my mind, just to try and match them point for point. I don't know you can do that. So, even if he feels good in the game, I wonder if it still has a lingering effect.
1: I became a Najee Harris fan when he started shouting out Megan Rapinoe and copying her celebrations. I loved it. I don't know if you watched that video of him talking about it either, but he sounded like someone who was sort of arriving upon, you know, feminism and and equality ideas. And I love to see people who are like just getting into that and like realizing, hey, it's pretty awesome that there's this, this like female athlete that I want to be like. Uh, So I'm, I'm, I'm Team Harris. That's, that's my, that's my guy now.
2: We were waxing about that as we were watching the game, saying even if you hate Alabama, you can't hate Najee. I mean, he's just too likable in the way he's handled everything. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. We'll dive deeper into the National Championship Showdown and a head coaching job that was open for just hours. Next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests appear on the Goodyear hotline. Fear not, Sarah, even though it's a brand new day and we've had vacation. I still have party voice. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know how. And a combination of allergies. That, like, I haven't even been partying. There's been no alcohol, no yelling. I didn't even yell during the Raiders game. And I still have party voice. So this is, this is a real thing happening at this point.
1: Maybe now, you should I'll- stop partying so much.
2: <laughs> Oh man. Where's the fun in that? All right. right, uh, we're Speaking of the Goodyear Hotline, we've been talking a little bit about college football and what we saw over the course of the weekend. We'll head over there now to talk to Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst right there on the Goodyear Hotline. Trevor, thanks so much. Happy New Year, my friend. Thanks for joining us. We always appreciate your time. So I'll start with the, taking the a culpa. I, I thought that Clemson was absolutely going to beat Ohio State, and I didn't really think it was going to be all that close. I'm not the only one, though. What did everybody miss about Ohio State going into that? game
4: well what everybody missed about ohio state jason is what everybody should have missed about ohio state and that is that their chemistry and rhythm would be as awesome as it was when they played clemson and that was something that people didn't see coming because they hadn't shown it yet they only played six games and they had a lot of guys miss multiple games i mean the last two games over 20 guys missed not just the games but the practice surrounding those games mostly because of the COVID protocols. And so they didn't have time to be able to groove in their chemistry and their rhythm over the course of the second half of the season because their second half of the season or everybody else's second half of the season was their first half. Meanwhile, Clemson had played 11 games, and they missed some guys due to COVID and injury too, but they they had much more time to shake out the difficulties in preseason preparation for COVID and then get really rolling in the back half of the season. Ohio State didn't have that back half of the season. And then they showed up and put it all together all at once, offense and defense in every phase, every way, and they were absolutely, utterly dominant. They had not shown that that way at any point during the season, Jason. So it's perfectly fine to have missed that. I missed it, too. I picked Clemson to win that game.
1: So, That being said, is this last game the only one we can use when trying to figure out how Ohio State might match up with Bama? Because we didn't see much from them in the regular season.
4: Yes, Sarah, I don't know how we pick anything else, though. I mean, there was an expectation that Ohio State would come in and Fields would throw the ball behind receivers and that the coverage, the communication wouldn't be all that great at times and they'd be susceptible to getting torched because of that and that the pass rush, guys will get out of lanes and cause trouble because of that chemistry. Now, all of a sudden, they put it together. What else are we supposed to judge it on? And I I think, really, we've got to expect that Ohio State will be at their level best when they play Alabama, just like they were when they played Clemson.
2: We're talking to Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst. Trevor, is there a comp on the schedule that you've seen this year? Like, Is there somebody that we've seen Bama play that we can take away and say, okay, that's how they'll match up against this Ohio State team?
4: I don't think there's a true comp. I think the uh, the best team that they played from a standpoint of passing game that's a fair comp to Ohio State would be Florida, maybe Ole Miss, and both of those games, Florida and Ole Miss, moved the ball through the air well against Alabama. The Ohio State passing offense has the potential to be similar to that. They don't have the high-end or as many high-end receiver candidates, especially at tight end, as Florida did. But they still have guys like Garrett Wilson. This is Ohio State now. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, really good receivers that can win deep down the field. And that's a similarity between the Ohio State and Alabama offenses, that both offenses have the ability to be elite deep strike offenses. We've seen it from Alabama. We saw it in bits and starts from Ohio State. But if you look at the body of the season, for all the issues that Ohio State has had, Justin Fields still is one of the top deep passing quarterbacks from a consistency and completion percentage perspective. He's sixth in the nation, or fifth in the nation, I'm sorry, uh, in completion percentage of balls thrown at least 20 yards in the air. Mac Jones is right above him at fifth. They're both just under 60% of balls that are thrown at least 20 yards in the air. So I think Alabama needs to expect that Ohio State will try to do to them what Florida did and what Ole Miss did earlier in the season, and that is air that thing out and go deep.
1: It's Spain and Fitz. Air Spain, Jason Fitz talking to ESPN College football analyst Trevor Maddich. Uh, let's switch gears for a second here. I'm curious what you make of the Texas hire, the, the quickness of it, the choice, and what amounts to probably about $50 million price tag on the move.
4: Well, Sarah, there's a whole bucket of worms there, isn't there? I I didn't think it was necessary. (laughs) Bucket Uh, I didn't like firing (laughs) Tom Herman. Maybe there were things going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about. But in watching the, the Valero Alamo Bowl, the win against Colorado, you saw a lot of young guys play and play really well. Texas had five captains opt out of that bowl game. And the guys that stepped in, the young guys that took their place, really played well, and they. I remember thinking, watching that game, that the future is bright and that Tom Herman deserves the opportunity to coach these guys that he's brought in and developed to this point. So I didn't think it was necessary. But since they did it, I think Steve Sarkeesian is a fantastic choice, because remember that Texas needs to get past Oklahoma. That's job one. Herman was one and four in his time there, including a championship game against Oklahoma. And that, I think, is the biggest reason that they went ahead and made this move. And Sarkeesian comes in with the fruit on the tree of being able to develop quarterbacks. He's taken Mac Jones from sort of an afterthought placeholder game manager to a Heisman finalist and a first round draft choice. And then to develop elite talent that comes in with already fantastic talent like Devonte Smith, who was going to be good no matter who was coaching him, but he is so precise at his route running the craft Of route running is just amazing to watch him work. And Sarkeesian will be able to go to recruits in Texas, those high end recruits, that tremendous talent in that state, and say, Look, if you come to me, I can do for you what I did for those guys at Alabama, except you don't have to leave the state. And that is a terrific selling point that Sarkeesian will be able to make. And it all goes toward getting better quarterbacks and better receivers than Oklahoma and putting it all together into a package that can beat the Sooners.
2: We're talking to Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst on the Goodyear Hotline on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Now, Trevor, I will admit, for all the times that we've worked together and for everything I thought I knew about you, I just realized that you do work with NBC Sports Washington because I'm a moron. So while we've got you, we've (laughs) got to ask you about the Washington football team. Obviously, they win their division. They go into the playoffs. So sort of give me an assessment of this team and what, if anything, you think they can accomplish in the playoffs.
4: Well, this team was 2-7, and seven, and in the Super Bowl era, no team had ever started that badly and won their division. Of course, they had tremendous help from the rest of the division, which was more abysmal than they were. But this team stayed together, they turned it around, and they did it through leadership and toughness and maximizing every advantage that they had. And I think when the story is written about this team, it's going to be the story of Ron Rivera, their head coach, at his battle with cancer. He took chemotherapy treatments at halftime of games that's games plural came back out in the second half and coached and I think the team watched his toughness his devotion his commitment to them and they returned it in in you know great volume towards him the on the field the defense is really that good I mean the defensive line is just disruptive and just incredible at making plays behind the line, and that makes everything else happen. The offense, with Alex Smith at quarterback, does a good job of not uh, putting the defense in a bad position for the most part. This matchup against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, though, is really interesting because Tom Brady, if there's a weakness of that team, it's Tom Brady and the pass rush. At this point in his career, in his early 40s, when the pass rush gets to him early, he just sits down. He understands that he's not going to escape the pass rush physically, and it's not a good idea to try to make a throw when he's under pressure and being pushed around and jostled around. So he'll just have a seat. And this offensive line for Tampa is still a work in progress. And so the the pass rush of Washington is the X factor. If they can get to Brady early and often, especially since Brady doesn't have Mike Evans to throw to anymore, he's got still good receivers. Watch out for Antonio Brown taking the next step. But Brady, I think, is susceptible to being degraded more by this pass rush than most quarterbacks would. So that right there is something that is, it gives Washington fans hope. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at T. Maddich. Always
2: doing a killer job on the college football and with all the Washington football team breakdowns. Trevor, Happy New Year, my friend. We really appreciate you hanging out with us.
4: You know what, Jason? Happy New Year to you, too. And Sarah, you, too. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Thanks, Trevor. All right, coming up, 17
2: weeks ago, we looked into our crystal balls, told you how the NFL season would go. If we only look at some of the results, I feel really good about it. All right, we'll break down how brilliant we were <laughs> next. Spain worked. and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, x XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Like I said, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750. On average, Sarah, we're always going to be honest, right? Like, that's part of what we do on the show. We admit when we're right loudly in my case uh we admit when we're wrong <laughs> quietly in my case so you know we like to at least <laughs> make sure uh that that we let the world know you know we we when we picked games this year which by the way we did a sensational job of during the NFL season uh we we let everybody know what we got right and wrong and in that same spirit I think it's only fair now that the NFL regular season has come to an end that we re- re- revisit I should say our playoff picks and This is a very good or very bad discussion for me, particularly, depending on which (laughs) conference we look at. It's a reminder. I obviously spent too much time with my head in the AFC because I got to admit, I did well on one side and awful on the other.
1: Yeah, I uh, we did this midway through the season. And at that point, there were still some choices that we felt pretty good about that have since taken a turn. And vice versa, right? I hate to say it, but one of those being your Raiders, Um, Mm -hmm. you had them as a wild card team and uh uh didn't work out for you um but we were feeling pretty good about that pick midway through so it's interesting even just to see how midway to end of regular season things have shifted um yeah i uh i thought the patriots would be a wild card team that didn't work out so well for me um i thought the texans would win the afc south not great bob uh you know so there's a (laughs) Uh, but but we also can commend ourselves for the things we got right, uh, like our Bills pick. Uh, we both mm-hmm. had the Bills winning the AFC East, um, and uh, that's about it. Oh, and we no. both had the Saints winning the NFC South.
2: Well, and is, that, is that
1: all we both got right, or did we? There no, I got else? the AFC
2: South right. I picked the Titans to win the AFC said we South. Both. So. I said, is that uh, all
1: we both got? Oh, right? we both got
2: right. Okay, yeah. Because uh, uh, I, mean, I have the Packers.
1: I'm, I was right about the Packers. Um, picked by you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You made the mistake of uh, thinking, I believe, uh, didn't you? Have two teams coming out of the? Uh, oh no, you had the Vikings. <laughs> I had the Vikings. I
2: had the Vikings. I really thought this was the year Kirk Cousins would put it together. So,
1: right. I'm an idiot about that. Um. Yeah. I mean this. This is this year. I think one of the things to take away from it, of course, is uh, COVID affecting teams, but also um, not getting a look at anyone in the preseason, making our picks sort of blind. Um, some teams, I think, were a little easier, like like the Saints in Seattle. Uh, we, both, we both had the Seahawks, Seahawks winning the NFC West, so good on us there. And then there were other teams that, you know, it was really hard to tell what you were getting. Um, Titans is one of them, right? I had them as a wild card team. You had them winning the AFC South. I just was curious to see if you could run it back and have Tannehill and Henry be as effective uh, in another year. They took a lot of teams by surprise and had some unconventional ways of winning, um, and it's worked again. Derrick Henry is still a beast and impossible to stop. Um, But without having a preseason, without really knowing how that team would look this year, I think that was one of the ones that, um, you know, and same goes with the Ravens. I mean, we both had the Ravens winning the AFC North. They obviously righted the ship and made the postseason. But, um, you know, off of last year's MVP season and everything else, I think we thought that they would be an even better team than 11-5.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I, when you look at down the list, uh, I, I got the the Bills in the East. The Ravens, Steelers, and Browns, I said, would all make the playoffs. So I got that right, but I didn't get the way that they made the playoffs. right. The Steelers obviously won the division. I picked the Titans, and I'm the first to admit I got lucky there because I never would have imagined that the Titans' defense would turn out to be an absolute abomination, which it has been throughout <laughs> the course of the season. But they still win the division. The Chiefs were the easy ones, so the one – The one playoff complete whiff that I had was taking the Raiders to win the wild card. Uh, I felt good about that. like you said, yeah. uh, At the the midpoint of the season, that did not work out for me. Now, in fairness, I took both the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles to make the playoffs. (laughs) That was bad. (laughs) I took the Vikings. That was bad. I picked the Falcons as a wild card. That was bad. And I don't have any excuses for any of those. At least I took the 49ers to make the wild card. I'm sorry,
1: San Francisco. Yeah.
2: I thought that the 49ers would be better, but they had so many injuries. I can at least say, hey, nobody could have seen that coming. But the rest of my picks in the NFC are so trash, I have no defense for myself.
1: Yeah, similarly to you, I nailed it on on the Bills, but I shouldn't have picked the Patriots as the wild card. Got the Ravens right in terms of them making it, but I had the Steelers as the wild card team instead of flipping uh, the Ravens and Steelers both making it with the Steelers winning the division. I had the Texans. I really thought that they would be able to overcome – uh the Hopkins trade and everything else. So that was a big fail by me, but I at least had the Titans getting in there as a wild card team. And then we both had the Chiefs and I did not go with your Raiders. We both took Dallas and that did not work out well. But I did not make the mistake of picking two NFC East teams to make the playoffs as you did. I was right on the Packers. I was right on the Saints. I was right on the Seahawks. I had the Bucks as a wild card team. Uh which you did not. I was right on that one. And then I had the Rams as a wild card team. And the Niners. So we both were led astray by the Niners. But uh, I, I'm not adding these up, but I, I think I might have done done you one better.
2: I think, it, well, math is hard. So math I'm just going to look hard. at we it. We should and have done I'm, the
1: math before the segment started.
2: As a general guess, I'm going to guess you outdid me uh, because that's usually the way these things go, Sir, I'm used Although to Although
1: you mentioned our six-pack, and we might as well just put it out there now while we're here. This is exactly what Greeny was talking about when he was talking about that Eagles tie. At the end of the season, it's really going to matter. And it didn't for the NFL standings, but it did for ours. You beat me by a tie
5: because oh, my final yes. record
1: in the six-pack of picks, we, did, we didn't do every week. We didn't do the first week, and, and, we, and Fitz was off at the end. But through you know 13, I think, uh, weeks of picks, I was 62-21, and 21, and you were 63-19-1. <laughs> so it was just. I mean, ah, uh, so close.
2: That's incredible, though. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of. By the way, our picking. And speaking of Greenie, uh, be sure to catch the show tomorrow, new time for Greenie. Greenie starts at 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, 10 a.m. Santa uh, Eastern tomorrow. Uh, you can check out Greeny. Yeah. That's the new time yeah. from now on. Right after uh, the morning show, you can check out uh, Greeny on ESPN Radio. So you don't want to miss that. Sarah, I think we did pretty well. I mean, I, I'm uh, in the world of accountability to the picks that we made, I'd say that overall we did pretty well considering all the things that were against us. And I picked my beloved Raiders to make the playoffs. They did not. So I will never do that again. You did not pick the Bears to make the playoffs, and they did. So you <laughs> should do that every year from <laughs> now on because that matters. Oh,
1: great. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have to say. <laughs> The Cowboys weren't good before Dak got hurt, but we can blame that. And the Niners we can blame injuries on. So we only have a couple picks each where we really just were flat out wrong and we have no excuse.
2: That's (laughs) whatever we got to tell ourselves at this point. Uh, Whatever we have to tell ourselves. But at least we've put it out there for the world. That's the best we can do. All right. Uh, Speaking of all of these takes and some of our best and worst, we'll break down good take or hot take next. We'll throw some of our peers under the fire. Spain and Fitz on ESPN (laughs) Radio and
0: ESPN app. Spain and fits the podcast.
1: We're doing the music from the last time the Browns were in the playoffs. Is that the vibe we're doing on this show? I'm trying to keep track of what we're doing. I think I think that's the vibe. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah uh, well, Spain. Look,
0: any
2: vibe that involves Avril Lavigne, I, I am You're I in. Am in. You're, I'm into that in. vibe. Yes. <laughs> I'm into that vibe. Sorry, Sonny. I'm into that. that sorry. like.
1: Oh, really? I oh, you're, you're, the, you're into that vibe is what I'm you're saying? I'm
2: into that vibe. Yes. Yes. You like you know
1: the what? pop girls because Demi Lovato is like your number one, right?
2: Well, no, no, no. Avril would be ahead a of Demi. Yeah, wow. Avril. Avril. Avril might be at the top of the list of the. the, wow, the you like I was, the Skater Girl. If I was ever going to get a Hall Pass list, it might start and end with Avril Levine. I'm just saying. Woo!
1: Woo! Wow, we've, we've happened upon a surprising discovery. Spain and Fitz. There's Spain. Jason <laughs> Fitz. Uh, I'm going to work my hardest to get Avril Levine on the show. I just want to hear what you sound like <laughs> when you can't form a sentence or spit out any words. Uh, because, no, uh, no uh, I should uh, never do that. <laughs>
2: okay, okay, good, good. Um,
1: let's do a little good take, hot take, Fitz. Uh, it's the last <laughs> regular season good take, hot take. I still am determined to get the star of our good take, hot take segments, Dan Rolovsky, onto the show sometime where we can hold up to him as many weeks' worth of takes and see which ones uh, he still believes and feels strongest about. So let's start with... The MVP of this segment, our beloved Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst, who is on Greeny today, talking about the Eagles tanking in
3: their final game. Like last year, the 10th pick was Cedric Wills. Turned out pretty good. The 11th pick was Mekhi M- 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 Becton. Pretty good. You can still get really good players there. And uh, that like that's what I've thought over the past couple hours is like people comparing it. It's not the same. It's not the same. Everybody thought the the Giants and the Cowboys played so hard yesterday because they thought they had a chance, when in in reality they weren't ever going to have a chance because of what Philly did. This is the same team that accepted the tie this year against Cincinnati instead of straining for the win and hoping to lose instead. And so I I, I don't care what anyone says. I still don't like it. It's not the same as a front office trying to not win for the number one pick.
1: Okay, Fitz, I'm going to set this up to you as good or good take or hot take. But first, I just want to point out that there's an inconsistency in there because you can't argue that the Giants wouldn't have tried if they didn't know already that they were out. Like, then you're arguing that, you know, they should also have the opportunity to not try in their last game, which is the point you're trying to make that no one should be doing, right? I, I didn't really word that well, but you get what I'm saying? Like, whether yeah. or not the Eagles show up and win this game shouldn't affect whether the Giants were trying in their final game. Other than that, though, do you agree with his logic that there are teams that you can allow to not show up because they're getting a number one pick or a specific player versus deeper in the draft should it not be allowed that a team sets themselves up for future success?
2: No, I mean, look, we just have to accept that tanking is, is a real part of it for certain cultures, and look, I have a, a, an issue with the, the Eagles' decision to not give Jalen Hurts a great opportunity to get some reps and figure out who they have as a quarterback because they're picking sixth, and I'm not sure they're not going to be in the quarterback market. But that being said, I don't have an issue with them tanking. I mean, that's just plain and simple. We've become used to what that be, that looks like for teams across the league. So I'm not going to hold so, them though? to some weird standard.
1: I mean, I think that we've seen what it looks like for a front office to tank in a big picture. I don't know that we see in the middle of a game putting in Nate Sudfeld and trying to argue that you need to get a look at a guy six years after he was drafted or four years after he was drafted or whatever in the middle of a game like this. To me, that felt very different than season long not being your best.
2: It's a different execution of it, but it's still the same principle. And if I'll allow the principle, then do I really care if they're being blatant about it or not? I mean, that's right. – that, I'm just – am I asking the Eagles to make me more comfortable with the concept that they don't want to win? Because that's really – like, th- that's a hard stretch for me. So, I mean, th- that to me is why – if culturally, if the organization decides they're going to tank – I I don't know what you do from there. and you and I have talked about the fact that I don't think players on the field ever tank, and this is a, a, a real example of a coach that has a lot of security and feeling he's going to be back, I guess, you know? So yeah. uh, I, I think it was a lot of risk for him, but I don't, I'm not going to hold them to a different standard than anyone else that tanks.
1: Excuse me. I sneeze at that remark. I actually agree with it, um, and I just think that people were going a little overboard today, getting mad at them and picking when they think it's okay and when it's not, but I do think I agree with those who say that it's unfair for the players out there if they feel like they're giving their all and not everybody's on the same page. On the opposite side, Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL, was on KJNZ and said this.
5: It's really complicated. Jalen Hurts was really playing well. You know, last night only completed seven passes. That has to factor into your decision and sort of your discussion. I would work really hard to try to repair that relationship because Carson Wentz's ceiling is at an MVP level in a perfect world, I would bring both of them back, both Wentz and Hurts. If you can't, then I would trade them. And obviously, all signs to me point to Indianapolis. Frank Wright's the head coach of the Colts. They had massive success together in Philadelphia. Philip Rivers is close to retirement. So I would pour all resources within reason to bring Wentz and Hurts back. If that doesn't work out after several meetings, then I look to try to maximize his value with the Colts.
1: Okay, so... Do you agree with that, that that this is something where uh, they need to make a decision and, and it needs to result in, in Wentz ending up with the Colts? Or do you think that he still has more potential than Hurts from what we've seen so far?
2: Yeah, I, I think he's a better quarterback than Hurts, but I don't think he can come back. So I think this is a, a, a hot take in the sense that they can find any way to bring this back together. I mean... I don't know how you undo the damage that's been done at this point between the relationship. And I said this at the time, the minute that Doug Peterson benched Carson Wentz, what he told the entire team is it's not a coaching issue, it's a Wentz issue. And if you're Wentz, how are you going to come back from that? How are you going to rebuild that relationship? So Wentz has all the ability here now to come in and say, hey, I want out. So it's going to be up to the Eagles to figure out what they can get in return for him or how they're going to handle that. But the concept that they'll be able to meet and talk it out when they weren't able to talk it out during the season, to me seems like a hot take.
1: Yeah, it seems like a good take to me, though, the second half, to look and see where you can send him where he's going to be happy because it doesn't feel like you can remedy the situation between Wentz and Peterson or that he's going to feel like in this position, on this team, with Hertz still on the roster, he can be confident and and move forward and become whatever potential he has left. Uh, It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, doing a little good take, hot take on the takes people had uh, after this NFL weekend. Mike Tannenbaum, again. ESPN NFL front-office insider, this time talking about the Bears and Mitch Trubisky.
5: When you look at it over a three-year period of time and you're objective about it, are we happy with the trajectory of that program? I would say probably not. And I would probably move on from Mitch Trubisky, and I would give Matt Nagy maybe another year. I would look at the veteran market. Jameis Winston really intrigues me because he started 70 games. He's young. Marcus Mariota really fits what he – Matt and Addy likes to do offensively, and then maybe go draft a quarterback as well, but they're going to go play the Saints this weekend. I don't think there's anyone here that thinks they have a chance to win that game, so we have to keep in mind, there's now seven teams that make the playoffs, so just by making the playoffs, I don't know if that's accomplishing a lot in terms of where organizations want to get, so I would take a long look at replacing Trubisky. Ooh, so let's, I'll let's... ask you. Good
1: take yeah. or hot take? <laughs> That is a good take. Um, hey, good. Listen, this is, uh, this is to me, the problem with celebrating the playoff. The only problem is if you think it absolves the team of the problems that they have. And they need a real franchise quarterback. And they do not have one on the roster, but they are financially committed to Foles. So if you want Foles to be your backup, you've already d- elected not to pick up the option on Trubisky. What you've seen from him in the last couple of games is predominantly about bad opposing teams yes you've seen some promising moments from him but there's always been some promise from him he's got good legs and and sometimes he can he can make the play rolling out or throwing on the run good stuff but his accuracy is a problem his football knowledge is a problem his ability to read defenses is a problem he's not the guy that's going to lead you anywhere so find that guy and if it's Marcus Mariota great that's a that's a good one um, not Jameis Winston. That, that kind of mistake-making and the fact that he hasn't been able to earn a job to fill in for Brews, Breeze with the Saints is a problem. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's very clear that they do not have a QB1 on their roster and they need to spend the offseason getting one.
2: Yeah, and the hardest part about that is that they don't have a ton of money in the, into this offseason to figure that out with. So it's going to be interesting to see if that means that they're looking at the middle of the first round of the draft or are they looking for somebody that they can take a flyer on that they can sort of build – and see what they get moving forward. Because I'm with you. I, I, this is it's absolutely a, a good take to, <laughs> for, for these two to part ways. I don't see a future for Mitchell Trubisky with the Chicago Bears, no matter what's happened over the last few weeks, because otherwise it's just going to be the definition of insanity. The first time he has a little run of bad games, it's going to be an immediate question mark. Whoever takes over the reins, I don't think, wants that in their future.
1: Absolutely. Finally, let's go to Dan Orlovsky again. Start and finish with our MVP. Here he is on our show. Actually, not on our show. This is him on uh, Get Up This Morning talking about Aaron Rodgers.
3: We were drafted the same year I've seen every throw I don't know if I've ever seen him in as complete control as he is right now like he gets frustrated when he, he when, when the throw isn't made that like there's this sticky coverage the receiver's got like three inches of separation and it's incomplete like he gets upset about that he has risen his standard of play and his, his expectation of play to such an excellent level the- that if he doesn't go 10 for 10 he gets upset about it and he's like man I'm not playing well enough his his, his standard is just so incredibly high. It's the best season he's ever had.
1: Good take or hot take?
2: That's a good take. I think it is the best he season good. he's ever had. And uh, absolutely, the way he's playing right now is lights out. Credit to Matt LaFleur, too, the head coach that came in, and we questioned a lot of things about their relationship. Sure looks like it's working right now.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You look back at his MVP season, and the numbers are pretty much uh right about the same. He sat out the last game of that season because. Uh, they were, you know, set up for the postseason, um, and and that season in 2011 that he had was among the best ever. So you look at this year, and whoo, do they have some things to think about in the next couple years? Fits up in Green Bay, and it's a good problem to have, but it, it's still a problem. Coming up, we asked you earlier the most attractive head coaching opening in the NFL. We'll get to some of that and celebrate the fact that we were watching the NFL at all this year. It's next, ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: New Year, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can always subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, ESPN app, Apple iTunes podcast app, all that good stuff. We do some pre-parties and after parties, get some good digital content that you can't hear on terrestrial radio. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything on the show. Earlier tonight, in case you missed it, we were talking about... The multiple head coach openings in the NFL and which job is the most appealing. At this point, barring any future firings, we've got Jets, Jags, Lions, Falcons, Texans, and Chargers. The majority of folks said the Chargers, including at jukebox hero, who said has to be Chargers or Falcons. Chargers are an interesting position with a young, solid quarterback, solid, decent pieces around him. Falcons are cap strapped, but have a top four pick and a team that can already compete, change their culture, and you might have a playoff team. I agree with them on both accounts. And most people did say the Chargers. People also added in the weather uh, at Gittle Monster 18. Potential superstar QB. Great young pieces on offense and defense to build around weather. Uh, we forget about that sometimes. If you're a coach, you want to live somewhere nice too. LA's not bad.
2: Uh, big taxes, though. Come on. I mean, that's true. You know, that's, the, that's
1: the one thing big we always think about. Like, to be a, yeah. a head coach, so <laughs> you you could pay those taxes. Um at Greg Wyshynski, tra- our, our great hockey guy, said the Jets, because every week is an exciting new adventure. Every loss is like a snowflake.
2: Oh, my <laughs> God. That Wyshynski needs a hug when things are normal. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I understand the Chargers element of it because – Let's be real. The Chargers have so much talent. I mean, you look, I'll continually remind everybody that when Brady was sort of out there and everybody thought he was going to go somewhere, the reason people said, oh, we should go to the Chargers is because had the best weapons. And, you know, obviously injuries have been a part of it the last couple of years, uh, but they've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. They've got premier pass rushers, premier guys in the secondary, all of those pieces. But I still look back at it and say, other than 2018, and that's a big other than, but other than 2018, they went 12 and four. Uh, other than that, they're perennially at best at a, a 500 team in the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. They always have talent, just nobody puts it together. And I don't yeah, know the Chargers curse. The Chargers,
1: curse. The Chargers yeah. curse, if you will. Um, a lot of people also said the Jags because of that a massive amount of cap space, uh, uh, number one pick that's likely to be Trevor Lawrence, which a lot of people feel good. At an owner that people for the most part believe in, except for of course, trying to figure out exactly how involved he's going to be statement today from Shad Khan made. It sound like he might want more input and that can be a bad thing. Sometimes Cowboys. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but lots of openings and fits. Unfortunately, there's so few head coaching gigs in the NFL. And yet with that many openings, you're probably not going to hit on all of them. There's going to be some disappointed teams. The lions uh, were not in, we're in this position not too long ago. Um, you know, so can, can they hit on someone who's going to do a better job than Matt Patricia and, and turn that franchise around a uh, lot of hope, at least for teams that get a new coach and, and new GMs and everything else on uh, the case of the Jets and the Jags, a lot of hope in those quarterback positions. Um, but you also have a couple teams that should be, and, and in the case of the Texans are set at quarterback, Herbert looks like he's a promising guy. Um, so, uh there's an argument to be made that being mediocre in the NFL is worse than being bad and, and starting fresh with some meaningful talent. Uh, But that quarterback position won't fix everything. We saw that for instance, with the Texans this year. Um, So there's some of those teams might be appealing because of the quarterback, but there's a lot more to fix around them.
2: Well, I think one thing too, to remind everybody is that over the course of the next few days, there's going to be so much conjecture about who got it right and who got it wrong when it comes to the best coaches that were hired And nobody knows. I mean, we said it when Doug Peterson went to the Super Bowl and I know that's been a few years ago but that, that year if you looked back to the year he was hired he was ranked by everybody as the worst hire so which is not <laughs> uncommon if you go in and look uh, there were so many people that questioned the hiring for example of Mike Vrabel in Tennessee when he's when he was hired in 2018 looks like that hire has worked out pretty well for the Titans so you know whereas Matt Patricia got a lot of love coming in uh, for what was expected to be some level of, some. of greatness picking yeah. up for the Lions and it just didn't work out so uh, all of that's a little bit of a a moment to to turn back and say hey uh, take a deep breath and know that whoever your favorite team hires you got to be rooting for them from day one because that's the only hope that you have for the next three years you know it it takes a little while these coaches are going to get some leverage it's a little like rooting against your favorite team's quarterback makes no sense so you know just a reminder to everybody that we don't know
1: Well, and also, unfortunately, NFL is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business, and sometimes I think we're too quick to think whoever comes in next will be better, and that's kind of where I'm with Matt Nagy. I'm like, "Ah." AP coached the year two seasons ago, did some really exciting and interesting stuff. Obviously, there was, you know, a really strong defense and Fangio was leading the way there. Was that the key to their success then? And, and is the play calling and what we've seen lately really him or is it a bad bad roster or not enough offensive line? They can't, you know, all that stuff that matters and you wonder, you go looking for someone better and do you get someone worse? All of that uh, remains to be seen for all of those teams and potentially the Bears and other teams that might still make a decision uh, after the postseason. In Spain and Fitz, uh, we also wanted to quickly on our way out here talk about how Regular season over, which is a moment to kind of look back, fits and say, first of all, impressive that the NFL made it here with limited interruptions. But there were interruptions, and they came before the season with a massive number of Patriots players, mostly defensive, opting out before the season even began. And it came during when the Broncos are playing without a quarterback and Cam Newton's out and Lamar Jackson's out. And, you know, you're looking at teams that went out there very few games on their schedule and weren't full strength for all of them. How accurate do you think the end result was and how much do you think it was affected by and maybe tainted by COVID?
2: I think everything's been at some level affected by I mean it, it was a little staggering to me to see last week that the NFL Players Association is talking about hey maybe we don't need any off-season programs because we've seen that the product isn't hurt well I would say did you watch defense first half of the season like this has been such a strange year to watch people come together and gel together and you know I'll give Miami for example a great shout out for the fact that not only did they spend a ton of money this off-season on the defensive side of the ball but they got the right personalities and the room and it came together quickly but not everybody had that luxury especially in a year where the practices were limited the culture establishment was limited the ability to just sit down and break bread with your teammates sort of those Mm. things do impact whatever a coach is trying to create so I'm not sure how realistic a picture we got for many of these teams going into the year not to mention then playing games when you know your entire offensive line didn't practice all week or you have no running backs suddenly or you have no wide receivers like the challenges that coaches have had to face this year has been absolutely insane but it is still a testament to to grit and, and toughness that they managed to somehow get it played
1: well and i think your point is a really valid one about the chemistry stuff we're going to notice when a quarterback is out or when a whole position group is out we're not really going to get the importance of and understand the importance of what it means for a team to be all together in, in training camp, to, to to work out together in optional workouts, to to have camaraderie and what that means in the locker room and connecting, and especially for teams with not a lot of turnover year to year. So it's especially impressive, something like what the Bucs did this year. Um, but yeah, some of that will sort of never be able to be fully understood from the outside. Uh, so maybe missed opportunities for teams because of that. In the end... The Bears are still in the postseason, and the Raiders aren't. And I think that's really what we take away from all of this conversation. They're all they Freddie Fitzsimmons are coming <laughs> up next. Uh, lots more NFL talk this week. Lots more Bears talk this week. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.